So they were walking around catching geckos, rubbing them on their lips. Okay. No, thank you. Yeah, count, count me out. This is Jacob Brotz with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. But we're going now. If you were a man, I would punch you. I'd punch you right in the mouth. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is episode 90 freaking 8. Of the Herpeticulture Woo! Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And once again, the substitute co-host. I don't even want to call you the Hello. substitute. You're like you're you're part of the gang, dude. Phil I like Phil to Wolf. Think that I am. Hello. Filling in for Jacob Rods of JLB Morelia. Doing the best that I can. You Big do, shoes you, I gotta fill. You Big do shoes. a good job. I mean his feet are actually kind of small, so. Well, we won't talk about that. Okay. But this show is brought to you by Steve Snakeshuary and his Venom Hot Sauce. If you haven't tried it and you like hot sauces and you like wings and you like all that good stuff, then you need to get your hands on some. It's delicious. It's tasty. You can put it on anything. Put it on your your grape nuts in the morning. Put it on your pizza. Put it on your hamburgers. Whatever. Tofu, if you're into that. Anything. And then, while you're eating these things you go online and you go to mpcagesandexotics.com and you get you a sweet cager rack because sean's the man sean did what i didn't think could be done and built phil's venomous rack and he loves it love it he lives brilliant it It is very impressive all this stuff's very impressive uh but Tonight, we are joined by Mr. Alan Stevens of Origins Reptile. What's up, dude? Howdy, howdy. This is a little This is a little weird. Like, my days are all jacked up, right? Because I had a three-day weekend. And so I put out the recycling yesterday, which actually doesn't come until today. And then I put out the trash can this morning and thought it was weird that the recycling didn't get picked up yesterday. And the the trash gets picked up tomorrow. So like doing this on a Tuesday on top of a three day weekend, it's just it's very odd. It's very bizarre. My brain doesn't know what must to do. be nice. It is my. I'm trying to get a I'm gonna get a three day weekend like once a month. Don't Word. Be, don't be jealous. <clears throat> oh, I'm jelly. But it's Tuesday. It's nice. It's not stupid hot out right now. I think we're actually like in fall. So I'm speak not, for yourself, man. I'm not sweating. I'm on the, I'm on the 26 parallel, man. It is like <laughs> 89 degrees at nine o'clock at night with 100 percent humidity. Dude, it's almost 59 here. It's amazing, and it's I got the fan on, so it's nice and cool. I'm not sweating everywhere. Got my cigar. I got my monster. Got my. Oh, voice. my name's Justin. I have seasons, man. I think we hit 95 today out here, and all week it's going to be 95 still. Jeez. All right, you win. (laughs) (laughs) No humidity, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a little different because you have that dry heat, which I feel like is a lot more tolerable than the smothering, suffocating humidity. Swimming, Swimming through the air on your way to your car. Yeah, like you're walking around with a snorkel. 
I love taking a shower in the morning and feeling fresh and rejuvenated and clean. And the 40 feet to my vehicle from my back door to my car, I literally break out in a full beer can condensation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I hate it's that, that feeling like you never like fully dried off from the shower and it's just sweat. Yeah. It's, it's mad. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Yes. Regardless, Alan's here. Alan keeps a ton of cool stuff. Um, yeah. Super shit to talk about some like mini monitors as I as I call them because they're not the crazy gigantic stuff. Um, but he also keeps brettles and he's got some pituophis and he's got a bunch of cool stuff. So anxious to get into that. Um, ba, 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 ba. Let me find it. Uh, so jumping right into it, uh, Alan. What came first for you? Was it monitors? Was it snakes? Like what did you? What originally got you into into the hobby? <laughs> what What is Justin doing? Are you like constructing something? No, Katie was getting dog food for the cat. For oh the cat. Oh my god! Bye. I love you. So awful. Bye, Felicia. It's all right. I might have kids uh, busting in here at any moment, so if I get uh, caught up with something. <laughs> No, it just sounded like Justin was woodworking or something. No, Katie's <laughs> destroying the garage. But we're good now. We're good. Everything's kosher. We'll, we'll continue. Yes. So, <laughs> monitors came first. Snakes came first. How did you, how'd you no, uh, come to be it, where you are? It was, you know, uh, probably five, six years old chasing garter snakes in the in the backyard i didn't even know what they were when i first saw them other than a snake mm-hmm. and uh wasn't allowed to bring them in the house so i would catch a handful of them and you know yell at the at the back window the sliding glass to show everybody in the house but my dad deathly afraid of snakes always so uh had that to deal with so that's i think that's where it started was just Catching snakes in the backyard, and all that was available was garter snakes. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I could find back there. And you grew up where you are now, or now? Yeah, pretty close to where I'm at now. Um, little town, well, at the time, little town called Elk Grove. Uh, no elk ever. Yeah, I don't know why they <laughs> called it that, but <laughs> but you'll see statues of them over there and whatnot. But uh, it was it was a farm town for a long time, and. Um, we lived kind of at the outskirts of a, uh, at the time, a newer housing development. And we had a couple boards down towards the corner of the backyard under an apple tree because it would get muddy back there. We had a broken uh, broken line, I think, and it would kind of flood. So we put some boards down to walk over to pick apples. And um, that's where the garter snakes loved to hide. You could just find a stack of them any given day under those boards. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of miss it. They're gone now. I'm sure they're still in the area, but uh, not in the backyard, not at my folks' house anymore. Do you remember like what kind of garters they were or no? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Probably whatever's common to the uh, that area right there. Um, just, you know, visually, it was just black with the yellow stripes. And uh, they would sit under there and eat slugs. I knew that because they would throw them up 
<laughs> half the time really? they caught them. Yeah. That's super cool. You weren't in like a red sided or blue garter territory or anything like that, right? Oh, nothing that cool. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wish. I do wish. Depending on what part of town you're at here where I am, you either get some really nice blue ones or you get some very basic like army green uniform colored like not a whole like you know usually you have garters that have like two colors like two main colors to them these are like army green and then slightly darker army green like olive drab yeah i mean the, the blue ones the bluish ones we have are really pretty uh and then i've seen pictures of some at the other end of the county that were almost like a brick red which i thought was really interesting that's cool yeah mm. hope to Somehow get my hands on some one day if I know somebody out that way that finds one, but chances are slim. So how did garter snakes translate into, you know, brittles and uh, ackies and stuff? Oh, man. Uh, well, let's see here. How did that one go? I think I uh, wasn't allowed to have any snakes, and they fascinated me, both snakes and, and lizards, mostly snakes at the time. And uh, from that, I would go, you know, back before the internet to the library and try to rent every book out that I could on any kind of reptile, anything they had in there, or uh, sit down in the library and just study up uh, to the point. I think I wrote my second grade teacher a unasked for report on Gila monsters. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, some of my finest work there. And... <laughs> Uh, let's see. I think the first thing I actually kept were anoles, or as they uh, they called them back then, uh, like kids' chameleons. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so two two green ones and one brown one, and those were the first lizards I kept. And that was the idea: was uh, if you can keep these, maybe you can get something else. Sure enough, those things were champs. Nice. Yeah, I really didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. Just threw a uh, plant light on top, a heat light on one side, a couple plants inside, and uh, dumped some bugs in there, anything I could catch. And they lived a long time, actually. I think they were about seven or eight years old. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Cool. I did that with roof green so snakes that... as a kid, and I loved it. Like, going out and actually catching the grasshoppers and stuff. It was a freaking blast. And then to go and, like, throw them in there and watch them hunt and stuff. Oh yeah, That's so cool. Yeah, my uh, my kid's doing that right now, except for the fact it's not with reptiles. He has a fascination with spiders, and spiders aren't my thing. But he's out there catching different bugs and throwing them in the spider's web. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I kind of feel like my father now. <laughs> Don't bring those in the house. You can't bring right. those in the house. <laughs> right, right. Nothing wrong with spiders, man. Those are fun too. Oh man, I just I can't do it. I've seen some cool ones. I can appreciate them at a distance, but yeah. Well, I mean, things just. I was never a big spider guy either, and then I somehow ended up with my friend's tarantula that I I gave him for his birthday one year, and over time I was like, these things are actually kind of cool. Like they're really not as I mean, some of them are definitely kind of spazzy but for the most part i was actually surprised how just how interesting they were and and keeping those and then i you know would get some some widows or something and kept those for a little while too and i don't know like if you if you're around them and i guess enough and you sort of allow yourself to to 
watch them and do their thing. It's not so, uh, they're not so scary. Hmm. I don't know. I'm actually a pretty successful widow keeper unintentionally. <laughs> they love, they love the warehouse. They're all over the place. So. <laughs> so those crickets you got getting loose. Probably crickets, roaches, you know, whatever is, uh, available to them. Uh, I got those in there. I've actually had a few, I've had an alligator lizard and a gopher snake break in to the warehouse. So that was That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Is that like where you're keeping all your stuff? Is that like your separate building? Yeah, it's uh, it's not too far from my house, and I keep some stuff at the home. Um, and this just happened to pop up <clears throat> at a certain time. It was not meant for reptiles. It's just how uh, everything kind of came together at once mm-hmm. and turned into what it is now. Um. <laughs> It, yeah, it was it was kind of like a whirlwind. So uh, it was meant to just move regular storage thing. I had a uh, house in a different area, and when uh, I moved in with my wife um, at the time, you know, I had a whole house full of furniture I just needed to store somewhere. Uh, so that's what my warehouse was initially meant for. It was close to where I live now. It actually had power, and uh, it wasn't too much more than what I was paying for the the storage unit that had a light bulb and no no outlets. So I decided I was going to move some stuff over there and kind of use it for my hobbies, which reptiles were one of them, but I mean, just barely starting off. I think I had snakes and uh, snakes and a trio of Ackies at the time, and that was... You know, that was, uh, gosh, that was only 2018. No, oh, I'm sorry. I got 2019. So only a year ago. I've been oh, wow. in that warehouse for about a year, yeah. And is that, I saw a picture on your Instagram where you were building what I assume were like slightly larger monitor enclosures. Is that in that, that warehouse? Oh, yeah. Like the three yeah. like stable sort of setups that you set up? Yes. So I, maybe I, maybe I should take a step back here with everything. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I got uh, started off with uh, some things for the house, basically getting back into reptiles and in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was into it, you know, uh, from the time I was a kid till about 23. And um, then took a break, started a career. Uh, life changed a lot and I didn't think I'd get back into it really. And then, uh, 2018 came around. Uh, my son was turning five and I decided to pick up a, uh, trio of Ackies and, uh, we went at it again, gave it a second chance living in the kid's room with little, you know, the three of them in a little terrarium at the time, just raising them up. Um, and it exploded pretty quick into yeah. <laughs> uh, what it is now. That's <laughs> how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So what's I mean? What do you have now? Like, what's the tally? Because I mean, you got you have a lot of species, you know, across the board. It seems like, but you also have it like decent numbers of of those from what it looks like as well. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Uh, 
let's see. I got into the the Ackies, like I said, 2008. That was June 2018. Mm-hmm. In July, I had uh, told my wife. I said uh, we were we were married at the time, and I told her, you know, I, I think I'd like to get back into reptiles and maybe um, started off as a hobby now, and maybe it can grow uh, over the rest of my career until the time I retire into something that's just fun hobby that pays for itself and uh you know see where it goes yeah and <laughs> one of the things i always loved were brettles python the very first time i saw one at a uh, reptile show here in the bay area in california um i fell in love with them at the time they were super expensive you know i think those were some of the first ones available um through doug price mm-hmm and I remember seeing his table and just saying, one day, you know, one day I'm going to have those. And uh, so that's what I kind of came back to. I never kept Brettles before. Uh, and I came back to it. I said, okay, I'm just going to get a pair of snakes for myself, something nice to look at, just one pair. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing my internet search and come across Inland Reptile, of course. Uh when looking up brettles and so give them a call trying to get some information and i had no idea where the hobby had gone because i spent you know a good 15 years almost out of it mm-hmm. uh, i had wow. no idea where the hobby had gone uh with different things um so i knew there was striped brettles i knew there was your normal brittle and talking to nick for a little while he's talking about hypo this stone wash that and uh, I said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking for a good looking pair. Uh, that's all I'm going to keep. I, I don't want too many animals. I just want a good looking pair. And uh, <laughs> four pairs later. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> it over and I'm actually doing some, you know, some research um, on different things and, and whatnot, trying to catch back up on what's going on in reptiles and on a local uh, Craigslist ad. I find a guy and he's got seven Brettles pythons for sale locally and uh, get to talking to him and I'm looking at these pictures and he has one that he's saying is a hypo and uh, I'm looking at this other picture of one, an adult that's in shed and it looks like a uh, stonewashed Brettles python. And I'm thinking to myself, no way, because this guy Nick just told me these things are a lot of money, and uh, this guy basically wants you know two, three hundred dollars a snake for these things. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I think, hey, worst case scenario, this guy's full of it. You know, maybe he'll try to rob me when I go meet up <laughs> to uh, to uh, see these snakes. And uh, I go over there. Uh, sure enough, seven Brettles pythons. One's a stonewash. One's a uh, hypo. Um, what did he have? Two really nice striped, uh, animals, a Paul Harris female and a, uh, Air Force, uh, female. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, I think, you know, I'm just getting into this. Uh, I don't have a lot of money right now. You know, let's wheel and deal a little bit. I end up getting, uh, seven snakes for $700. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And um, so, of course, I, I'm, you know, trying to 
get Nick back on the phone, sending him some pictures. I'm like, hey, is this what you were telling me about? And he didn't get back to me right away. Uh, so I said, I'm pretty sure this is what, and then, you know, it uh, turns out I did a little bit of research and was able to find a whole, uh, basically, history of these animals through Facebook and through one of the Facebook pages for Brettles Pythons. You know, everything matched. The patterns matched, the animals matched, mm -hmm. and uh, eventually um, Nick told me, yeah, those, those animals are for me. I, I produced those things, and he said, you, uh, you used up basically all the luck you'll ever have with reptiles. Don't expect <laughs> anything else to happen in your favor. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's basically where it started. I brought home seven pythons. I said, hey, babe, we weren't married at the time. We were getting married, and that was July. We were getting married in October, and I show up with uh, seven pythons. Just trust me, babe. Just trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really what kicked it off. Um, she fell in love with them too. To they're be awesome snakes, uh, man. I mean, they're, yeah, they're awesome. so they're so great. Yep. Best. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, other than maybe a uh, food response that I stuck my my face. I almost get lazy around them. Rettles, to be honest, they're so uh, docile yeah. and so easy to work with that uh, I don't pay a lot of attention to them. But I've, of course, taken a few bites because of that, um, my own mistakes. But uh, yeah, the we had that big Paul Harris female. Unfortunately, she was our our pet. Um, wife and kids both loved, or all of us loved her. She passed away, unfortunately, this last breeding season. Uh, she swelled up huge and there was some kind of complication, reproductive complication. Mm -hmm. So, uh, lost her. That was a bummer. Really looking forward to that clutch and just having her as, you know, um, the pet in the family reproducing. We wanted to keep all her babies here at the house and, uh, raise back a good, raise up a good number of those, but. Yeah, so that's that's uh, kind of how this all started off, and uh, from there I picked up uh, a pair of IJ's West Poplins from a local guy, Glenn Brooks, out here. Oh, I want to get um, him on the show at some point. He's got so much cool stuff. Yeah, he's he's a really good guy. Um, he he has some really impressive animals yeah uh also super nice he he let me bring the kids over check out the collection and uh ended up uh giving him a a rubber boa we found oh, nice. uh, apparently that was his his first snake as a kid he had ever seen was a rubber boa so wow. uh, after that sentimental story you know you know glenn i got one for you <laughs> so he's a really good guy yeah he, he would have a uh, lot of info for you a lot of good stuff to say you can get them on the show. Um, so picked up that pair from Glenn. Uh, later on, I actually picked up those adults, and uh, they are some animals from uh, originally produced by Dan Romanowski, which I was able to contact Dan and uh, get the lineage on those animals. So I have a pair from that animal. Those adults I'm raising up, plus the adults now, a uh, few other pairs of, of IJs that I picked up here and there, just some decent-looking animals. Um, let's see, a pair of jungle carpets I recently got from 
uh, Doug Price. And I got into a situation uh, where <laughs> shortly after the, the Brettles Pythons, there was a, um, a guy I contacted who had posted up some Nova guineas and mm-hmm. some pygmy pythons along with some other things. And so I, I hit him up and I said, hey, you know, I'd like to take those pygmy pythons off your hands. Maybe the Nova guineas, I didn't even know what they were really at the time. Jeez, oh, uh, I see where this is going. <laughs> and he says, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought we were good to go. And uh, I had already at this point convinced the wife, hey, there, there could be a future in this. Um, and so she was behind me and it and uh, this guy, let's see, he, he said or told me they were sold. And then about, I want to say two weeks later, hits me up and uh, says, hey, the, the buyer fell through. I got to move these animals now. I think he was he was buying some kind of badger or something <laughs> coming in. I think he he runs a uh, facility where he's at, and uh, he had to pay for this badger. And I said, hey, I, that's great, but I, I you know that same money I had set aside, uh, I spent it on something else. Uh, I don't have it. I'll make you a deal. I'll, I'll throw in these. I think it was uh, 1.2 Nova Guineas. Uh, a wheat belt, uh, Western Stimson, Ooh. a pair of Easterns, and the Pygmies. Wow. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, for <laughs> for a ridiculously good price. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. And so grab those. Those came. And, uh, yeah, I was just absolutely, absolutely thrilled to see those Pygmies. I mean, they're red as red can be. They have a great pattern to them under that, almost like an iridescence on top. Uh, great feeders. I'm really hoping they go this season. Uh, I kind of look forward to the, the challenge of getting Antaresia to feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think the Easterns will go too. Uh, the, the Westerns, I ended up picking up a female to go with that male and another pair of the wheat belts. But they still got a little while. Uh, and then the Nova Guinea's got another year or two, but uh, they're some impressive animals. I'm really digging those Nova Guinea's. Um, but back to the collection. Okay, so that's the pythons. Uh, let's see, August of last year, I had the I had the Ackies, my that were uh, quote unquote my son's Ackies <laughs> that we picked up and. Uh, they, while I was getting all these snakes together, um, and all my focus was on that, I was feeding them, doing the regular maintenance with them, and, um, you know, they were still living in their, their raise-up cage, which was a two-foot exoterra. Um, they were growing fine, everything was fine, but I wasn't really paying too much attention to them other than providing for their, their daily needs. Um so as I'm putting all these snakes together, trying to figure out cages and racks and everything, um, one of the one of the Ackies is digging all over the place and really, really got big. And I don't know why. I'm just an idiotic moment on my part. Didn't read the signs. Didn't see what was going on. <laughs> and uh, you know, I see this infertile egg on top of the surface, and uh, she goes down and uh ended up 
laying a total of nine eggs for that first clutch. Wow. Yeah. And we were stoked about that. Now, I was not ready for it. That's that's the truth. So I scrambled to put together something, go pick up an incubator. And, and, uh, oh, that's only, the worst. Yeah. That, <laughs> all those mistakes that you hear and people tell you not to make, made all of those. So uh, <laughs> we've, we've all been there, man. Yes. I mean, yeah. Jake was there with that first clutch. He he didn't have an incubator, so he had to use mine, that first clutch of pop ones that he hatched. Yeah, it was. It caught me by surprise. And honestly, what I ended up incubating them in was that uh, Styrofoam Zoomed, I think, makes it uh, yeah, incubator. Yeah, uh, I don't know what they're called, but I know what you're talking about. And I have to say, that thing's actually worked great. I've used it now on a few different... Uh, different species and it, it it's honestly in the house at mm-hmm. room temperature it works great i don't have any complaints about that thing yeah I mean, um, I've, I've heard good things about them i think it's just if you're using them with like a like a sensitive species where the eggs are a little more delicate to fluctuations and stuff like that they're not as as reliable but for most things enough. i think they're yeah i think they're they're solid yeah um so that was the first clutch clutch of ackee eggs they laid another one uh Three months later, that same female, and oh no no no, what, it might have been just two months later. I'm almost having trouble remembering. It, anyways, it took off, and she was laying eggs on a regular basis. Um, and so again, back to the wife, I'm saying, hey, you know, we might have something here. Let's uh, try to hatch these eggs out. And as you know, those eggs take a while. I think that that clutch was that first clutch was about 115 days in wow. the incubator so um but man the the joy when those little faces popped out for the first time getting to see that here at the house with the, the wife and kids was really something else that was a dream for a long time um so that that kind of kicked off we had some babies in the house i didn't have the warehouse yet i had all the brettles pythons here i had picked up a pair of uh Burmese rat snakes from a friend of mine down in Southern California. He says, Hey, you're getting back into the hobby. You know, you ever thought about keeping, uh, some Asian rat snakes and I've always loved Asian rat snakes. And I had never to up to this time. I had never even heard of Burmese rat snakes before mm-hmm. or seen them. He says, you know, I got these coming in. Uh, would you be interested? Yeah. They keep them at room temperature. Sure thing. <laughs> Let's give it a go. And uh, he says, yeah, this will this will kick you off if you're successful with them. You know, um, it could lead to other things. And uh, so pick those up. Um, so it was the Brettles, the Antaresia and the Nova Guineas, then the Rat Snakes. Um, had some clutches from the Ackies. Hmm. Oh, okay. And then... Uh, <laughs> If, if anybody else was to look into this, or I, I even had to explain it to my wife and show her messages and everything, because I, I figured she would not believe me the kind of luck I was having as far as <laughs> getting into animals and deals. And I'm trying to tell her, you know, no, I only spent this much on this. I only spent this much on this. Yeah, right. And, she's supposed to believe that right, knowing you're a reptile right, guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's and as funny, you guys like, know, you know. You can bring something home. 
And if you don't pay, like if you somehow just end up with like someone gives it to you, it's completely fine. But if you pay money for it, then it's a problem. Or like <laughs> all those guys that lie to their wife and they're like, oh no, babe, I only paid a hundred bucks for this. Meanwhile, they paid like $800 in cash that they've been hoarding in their sock drawer for six months, you know, or whatever. And then right. she, God forbid something happens and she goes to sell it or hawk it or do something. It's like, no, I really paid 800 What? Yeah. Right. You have to add a disclaimer to every time you, you buy something. Like when I got Limeade, I told her, I was like, I got another Condro. It's like, but I didn't use our money. I used magazine money. <laughs> I, was like, I bought another snake, but before you freak out, didn't come out of personal See, funds. I had been that way in the past. When I was, oh, I would say that time from when I was about 16 to I think 22, uh, you know, I was telling my, my folks and my friends all those stories. Oh, no, I really didn't spend that, you know, this, oh, God, just found this on the side of the road type of stories. And, uh, you know, that was that was the first era of reptile keeping. But um, uh, so going into this time and having these deals come up, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure my wife knew, hey, here's all the messages. Here's the here's, money going out. Proof. I want you to look. Yeah. And she's looking at me sideways like, why are you being so uh, pushy about this? Why do you need me to look at this? I said, you just have to understand. No one's going to believe me. I need you to believe me. <laughs> so, uh, I need a witness. You know, yeah, exactly. It, and to this day, if I tell people I spent $700 on my, my Brettles python, they kind of look at me a little sideways like, yeah, sure thing. But And uh, even more so with the, the Antaresia and the Nova Guinea. Um, and then, okay, so all the snakes are at the house. Um, I'm looking for something to do here at the house that where I could put them. Uh, you know, we're pretty packed. We got a lot of people in this house. And there's not a lot of room for this type of hobby. But I was making do. We had a lot of stuff in our bedroom with us. Um, the Ackies were in the kids' room. And... At the same time, I was looking for a different uh, storage, basically. I came across this warehouse. And so I've been talking to the, the uh, property owner, not renting the space out. We were getting a uh, lease all set up and signed. And that same week, I had a coworker um, who put me in touch with another coworker. Uh, turns out that this guy's see, this is where the story gets all crazy where it's like, uh, huh, uh, huh. <laughs> so they put me in touch with this other coworker. Um, and his son is going to college and he says, Hey, yeah, we need some help. My son's been dragging his feet. Hasn't gotten rid of these animals. I told him I'm not taking care of him. And he's going from California to the East coast for college. Uh, can you come pick up, you know, what's here? And it's either that or we're going to go drop it off at a uh, local reptile store. It's kind of the, the story I'm getting. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get over there. There's going to be some bearded dragons and some uh, leopard geckos, that sort of thing. Yeah. I get there, and there are two water monitors. Uh, one is a Guru line or that the high-contrast water monitor. The other one's a sulfur. Um Two rhino iguanas. What? Uh, two Lewisai, the cycler, the uh, hybrids. Wow. Uh, three tegus, 
the a blue tegus um het for albino with the the message or the, the confirmation from the uh the breeder you know and then there was there was about eight leopard geckos in the mix and uh all of a sudden he says yeah you got to take this right now um because my son's going to college and <laughs> i rented a u-haul put the animals inside the car put their cages in the back of the u-haul uh the trailer and uh I took my wife with me because I said, you're not going to believe me otherwise. You need to come with me. And wow. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to tell her, you know, these are $1,000 animals for some of these. Um, and so I brought them all home with me and had to keep them at the house for in, in totes for, I think, day and a half till I had uh, signed the lease and the beginning of the month came up for that warehouse. And as soon as it did, I rushed in there tried to set them all up in their cages quick as I could. And, uh, that's basically how the warehouse started. Um, so you got, you got the caging from the kid too, right? Yeah. So the cages they oh were in now, God. they were outgrowing the cages. These were just your wood, like six foot, uh, six by twos and four by twos and whatnot. Yeah. But you didn't um, have to make stuff in the new warehouse per se. No. You just took, man, you got struck by lightning twice. <laughs> if, I was your, if I was your wife, I would be very skeptical. At, at, at that right? point, I'd be like, all right, you got to be like dealing that, drugs or something. Like something's got to be going on for you to be getting all this stuff. Like <laughs> Exactly. If I was looking in my own life, I would think I was full of BS. <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I had to take her with me, you know, and I, there's no other way. At first, I need your help loading this, this uh, <laughs> U-Haul up. Second, you wouldn't believe me otherwise. Um, from all that, though, those eight leopard geckos, she gave one away, but they have become my wife's leopard geckos. They they stay right next to the bed on the dresser, and they are her babies. And I'll tell you what, um, I never really considered leopard geckos at any point, but they are some of the coolest reptiles I think we have ever kept. I had some uh, as they a got, kid. They were fun. That's why yeah. everyone has them as, as kids and adults is because yeah. they are awesome. Yep watching them hunt and stuff it's fun oh yeah she comes in the room i swear they they hear her voice or her footsteps or something they all come out of their hides looking for their uh super worms or whatever she's feeding them that day and, uh it's like her her evening routine is come home and just feed those guys and uh they're a kick we have a lot of fun with those so do the kids but um so picked up all those those animals in the water monitors i love monitors um, they are, they were amazing looking animals. And, uh, I would say both of them at the time were only about two. F- uh Oh, there's no way I can keep these animals. Um, they're going to get, you know, six foot, seven foot, maybe huge. And, yeah. uh, even the tag is, I was thinking to myself, that's pretty big. I didn't want to keep anything that could become potentially dangerous to the kids. I wanted the, my kids are now five and seven, um, three and five at the time. I, I really wanted something uh, that they could do with me and really enjoy, but nothing that I really had to worry about. And yeah. uh, of course, you know, full grown water monitor can do a lot of damage. And uh, so I, I already knew I was going to put those up for sale. I told the uh, the kid I got them from, I said, hey, this is not something I, I can keep, but I can make sure they're healthy. 
put them up for sale and maybe turn them into uh, something else. And kind of stuck to that plan. And uh, from those animals, I do have a pair of the tegus left, but uh, I was able to move the rest of the animals. And that's kind of how my monitor collection started growing. Uh, was able to make some trades, trades and partial sales, and then just turn that money back into more monitors, to be honest. That's the way to do it, man. Yeah. But you got the Ackies, yeah. you got the Peacock. You have, do you have Timor's? Did I see Timor? Yes. And yes. then is what else? You got Kimberly Rocks. Kimberly Rocks. Um, what else do I have? I have uh, some sand monitors. I have some crosses. They're Flavi uh, Rufus Gould Eye crosses. Um, but I also have a pure pair of. Why does it keep doing Prize in itself to find. Um. I think. Go back one more time. It cut out real quick. What what pair do you have? A pure? Oh, I, I have a, a pure pair of Flavi Rufus, Varanus Flavi Rufus, um, that a friend was able to help me acquire. And it took it took a little while, but uh, I, I do have the animals now, and I'm really hoping good things for them. I'd love to be able to uh, reintroduce those back in the U.S. market. I just absolutely love them. They are Bar none, my favorite, uh, my favorite Australian monitor, and so it's really something to be able to keep them. Um, let's see. I gotta look oh, that so, up now. Yeah, I'm not familiar with with those. I'm not. Fam- I mean, aside from like sort of your your standard monitors that are pretty commonly kept, I'm uh, I'm kind of. They're not too. They're not too prevalent right now. Uh, back in the past, I, I was keeping some of them in the early 2000s. I uh, had some crosses and some gould eye uh, and flavies, and they're all kind of in the same family of the sand monitors. Yeah. Um, and they'll usually stay between two to three foot, maybe three and a half foot for your males. Um, so a nice, a really nice sized uh, monitor. Not too big. Little more than you know your dwarf species. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say they're pretty similar to uh, some of your tegus. Uh, not as big as, as those big male tegus, but uh, pretty near the same size. And yeah, they are just something else. I really, really enjoy them. They are full on monitor in a good size package. And uh, recently got some eggs from my crosses. So hoping good things for them. Uh, I think she's cycling again and that's going to be exciting but those have i think about a 200 day uh incubation wow yeah so did you keep this like laura i didn't i wanted to they interest me a lot i'm actually still trying to get rid of this other pair of tegus <laughs> but uh as far as lizards you know my focus is just on monitors i there's a few other things out there that i want to try but uh, one of the things with all this, and, you know, like I said, I've only been at this for two years now, is um, I, I have a regular job. I have uh, family life. It's kind of keeping everything standardized in a way. And with monitors, it's pretty easy just with bugs and uh, rodents or, you know, some type of meat. And just the, the, the plant matter 
or the uh, fruits and vegetables that the cyclero yeah. would take, it, it just throws a, a kink in the chain for everything. So, No, I totally uh, get that. Totally get that. Yeah. yeah, as awesome as they are. And, yeah, that I had a female. She, you know, her whole head was blue. She was awesome. I really want to see how she turns out. Um, but, yeah, they, they're awesome. Oh, and those rhino iguanas. My goodness, those things are so cool. The head bobbing. Uh, my son was able to go, you know, basically hand feed them. And they had some really cool personalities on them. Um, so maybe one day in the future. But uh, right now, I just want to focus on the monitors. So I think that's, like I say, I think that sounds bad. <laughs> I think that's yeah, all. You got a hell of a collection, bad. man. Yeah. Oh, I, I have some Tristus. Uh, Tristus, Tristus. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Those so are awesome. I have about 15 more days, uh, and I should have a clutch of those hatching. And the female is actually down right now. So I'm going to, after this, I'm going to go back over tonight and see if she's done laying. Hopefully dig up some eggs. And then, uh, oh, you know what? I recently acquired two Savannah monitors, two baby Savannah monitors. <laughs> cute. Very cute. Yeah. That was unintentional. There's a, you know, I won't even get into how that came to be, but uh, <laughs> they now live here. So um, I think that's it as far as the lizards. Uh, and then... There's a few more snakes I was able to uh, catch last year. I caught a, a female gopher snake, and she happened to be gravid. Uh, she was a good-looking animal, too. So she laid seven good eggs, uh, held back all those babies. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too crazy out there, but two of the babies out of the seven – came out with a really good like reddish pinkish color and a lot like the mom she has very little uh, black on her and a lot of gold yellow orange and red and um so i kind of want to see that's a little fun project for me just to see where that goes and how they continue to develop and uh hopefully you know in a year or two i'll be able to breed those um back and, and see what I can do. And then just recently, this last summer, um, no, I'm sorry, not the last summer, was it June? July. July. Um, I had uh, a couple, couple of guys come down to, <laughs> a couple of snake guys come down to pick up a car part of all things. Um, and we decided to do some herping that night and road cruising up some stuff. All we saw that night was a uh, uh, local rattlesnake. and But it got the wife and the kids interested in what road cruising was. And they had never been. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> so the next night I take them out. And, uh, oh, come we on, they're young. Yeah. It's right at dusk. Sun's going down. And I'm trying to tell the kids, you know, when we're out here, you might see a few things. You might see some birds of prey. Um they like to cruise around right now as rodents and reptiles are just starting to come out. And, uh, so we might see some owls and some eagles and hawks and whatnot. And no sooner had I finished kind of giving my kids this little speech about birds of prey, are we cruising down the road? And my wife looks over to her right out of the passenger side and says, uh, you know, 
I don't even remember what she said, but basically there is a hawk trying to fly off with a gopher snake who has its tail wrapped around a barbed wire fence. <laughs> wow. And we're seeing this, the kids are screaming, I'm screaming, and uh, throw the car in park. And as soon as I got out, the bird let go, flew off, and I go hop on the other side of this uh, barbed wire fence and there's this gopher snake laying there, just belly up, mouth is all messed up and to the side. And I'm thinking, okay, this thing has a couple punctures in it, I can see. It's not looking good. We'll see where this goes. So I, uh, I just grabbed the animal, threw it in a bag, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to give it its best chance. Right, and, uh, right. Yeah, so we road cruised the rest of the night, uh, not too long because we were worried about this animal, and uh, threw her in a bin, just tried to make it nice and relaxed for her, and go to look at her the next day. And once I get a good look at her, I'm thinking, you know what? She might be gravid. And uh, <laughs> she's looking at me, hissing at me, so might be some hope for this animal. And sure enough, I think uh, a week or two later, she lays eight eggs. Man, and, uh, like, what I made the, the joke. I, I made the joke about you getting struck by lightning twice. No You've kidding. been struck by lightning twice on the same shoulder while riding <laughs> the same horse in the same field. Yeah. It's Man. been pretty awesome. It's been pretty awesome. Um, I, want to, I want to know what you're drinking, what your tap water is like. <laughs> so uh, those those babies actually just hatched. And uh, out of that clutch, one of them came out with this cool looking, like almost like an eyeball pattern on its, uh, you know, little ways down from the head. I'd say about uh, three-fourths of the ways down and uh, <clears throat> right in the middle of the pattern. It's just, I like looking at it. I don't know. I'm kind of digging it. And then another baby popped out. Uh, super yellow with a really reduced pattern. And um, like I said, I don't want to go too far into anything, but just add into that fun project. So I never meant to get into Pitchophis, but here I am. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's not like it's not like you just went to the store like, you know what, I'm going to get into gopher snakes. No, you have like a badass story to coincide <laughs> with an amazing breeding project that you've got. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel pretty blessed. I got to be honest. Um, I never thought about it before, and they've turned out. You know, I, I would catch them as a kid, uh, going around different places, but they were so common around here. I didn't pay much attention to them. Um, yeah, we always take the backyard stuff for granted, you know. Exactly, and I, I honestly, I had no clue what kind of range Pitchos has had in the U.S. I just oh, thought dude, they were a local crazy. snake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I'm having a lot of fun with that. I uh, ended up picking up some um, some cow kings in the same area. Uh, let's see. And I really, I think that's it on the snakes. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. Uh, I did get a couple more Brettles pythons from Nick. Um, man, I... I Really having some trouble remembering all the things I have. I don't know what that says about me. Hope my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, oh, there's got to be something else. Let me think here. Uh, oh, oh, I had a local guy here uh, hit me up and basically basically told me I wanted reticulated python. And I said, "There's no way I want retics." And uh, he says, "Yeah, you want retics." Said, no, I really don't. And he says, "Well." 
you know, I see what you're doing. I like what you're doing. And I had met him before and he had been over to the warehouse before. He says, um, I'm working with my partner and we are focusing on uh, pure locality retics because they're almost impossible to find now in the U.S. Right. And uh, I said, well, okay. You know, I, I can understand that. Um, coming back into the hobby, I'm, I'm actually really surprised what we've lost and yeah. uh, what's popular, That's what's nuts. changed in price and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, he kind of had my ear at that and uh, hit up another uh, buddy of mine and, who I knew was looking for similar things. And I said, hey, you want some retics? I, I got a guy here. So worked something out and uh, ended up with 2.2, uh, uh, a pair of unrelated bollies. Uh, I'm sorry, two pair of unrelated bollies. Um, and I have to be honest, they're amazing snakes. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the colors are on one pair have come in. The other ones are really starting to color up now. And uh, I'm kind of digging them. I'll be honest. They're uh, <laughs> they're cool. They're snakes. pretty amazing. They're awesome. Snakes. Yeah. I wish I could. It's hard not to. Yeah. I mean, like the the size is the only thing that stops me. Mm-hmm. You know, even the super dwarf stuff. I just I don't have the space to commit to it. See, you know what's funny is um, Bollies back in early 2000, from what I remember, were the dwarf retics. And uh, it's kind of funny to find out that there's these, you know, different locales, island locales of these actual dwarf reticulated pythons. I didn't even know. Re- well, I'd seen them once before, but I didn't know a thing about them at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it's cool to see what's going on with them now. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's amazing that it's hard to uh, – I, I, <laughs> I knew nothing about the Lacey Act. <laughs> When I got back in this, I had to educate myself on all the new laws and what was going on in the U.S. with uh, reptiles. So it's been a little interesting. But I think that's um, – I'm pretty sure that's it. Oh, you know what? There's a few more things at the house. I have a pair of – crest. Uh, ooh, almost messed up. I have a pair of gargoyle geckos. And, uh. Uh, some really nice ones from a guy. I, I had caught a uh, – alligator lizard in my yard and this thing looked like it was something along the lines of a caramel or or i don't know t positive t negative i don't even know (laughs) anyways i posted a picture of it somebody hit me up he says hey um do you still have that animal yeah i have that animal i said well i'm gonna come get that animal and give you uh, a uh pair of gargoyle geckos and that's that's how those came to be uh and then morning geckos i have a, a little group of morning geckos that's a species i feel like came out of the woodworks over the past year like everyone and their mother has morning geckos now i think it's very interesting yeah yeah I, you know i i used to see them in the past and to be honest they were kind of just your pet store uh special you know you pick yeah. a couple up for seven seven ninety nine or whatnot right and um yeah they've really taken off and it's it's actually pretty cool to see what people are doing i almost feel bad because my well my intentions of breeding those uh morning geckos is for anteria food <laughs> that's the honest truth yeah hey i mean that's why i got this little group of, of med- mediterraneans together 
A for fun, and then B, yeah, like I'm I got Boyga in the so. incubator, so I'm, they may come in handy. We'll see. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. There you go. It's actually funny. Um, I stumbled across your page, I guess, right when it's because Origin underscore Reptiles, right? Yep. Okay, so I stumbled across your page. I guess you had just made it, and maybe it was a little a little after you just made it because you only had like maybe ten or so posts. And, you know, my good friend Henry, who we have, you know, on Snakes and Stogies all the time, his he's a Blue Ribbon uh, English Bulldog breeder. And his Instagram thing used to be Origin Bulldogs. And I was trying to show someone something on his page. I <laughs> typed in Origin and you popped up. And I was like, is it, I was like, is that a Brettles? I need to click this. And I clicked it and I was like, oh, this guy's got all kinds of cool shit. I'm all about this. I'm going to follow this guy. And then lo and behold we have uh whom we have here you know it's pretty awesome <laughs> well thank you for that you know yeah, I, got, reptiles I, got to, got... I got to watch you blow up well thank you thank you um reptiles got me into social media that's all i can say i'm still learning how to use it to be honest i i don't even know how to do the stories on instagram so uh <laughs> i'm gonna sit down with my wife and try to figure that one out yeah just start pushing buttons something good will happen yep Yep, I hope so. <laughs> so that's uh that's the collection right now. Um, I let's see, was able to this last year. Uh, well, within this this last year, two thousand twenty, um, get a clutch of Brettles pythons, first pythons I've been able to breed, which is kind of special. And so yeah, those night, those I, pictures came out awesome with all them coming out of the eggs. Yeah, yeah, I I'm so happy. I'll be honest. Uh, that was really great. Um, I kind of like the fact that I can say, you know, the first one, the first pythons, or first snake species I I really bred, other than picking up, you know, grabbing females, um, were Brettles pythons, and a uh, pretty good clutch. It was a um, stone wash to a het stone wash, um, and from from those original animals I picked up and. Uh, yeah, they're doing great. Uh, I think all but two have fed for the first feeding, so nice. no complaints there. Um, other than that, I've hatched a few or several clutches of Ackies now. I now have another line of Ackies. Um, and then I had a clutch of Kimberly Rock Monitors hatch, which were another dream species for me. Uh, and then, yeah, about 15 more days, I should have a clutch of the uh, the Tristis hatching. So I'm, That's so I'm cool, excited man. about that. So yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. I had I had a clutch of peacock monitor eggs. 13 great looking eggs, and I had a uh, incubator malfunction where I walked in one day, and what I read was 113 degrees, and it could have been that way for 12 hours. Wow. <laughs> There go my hopes. Yeah, I think yeah they didn't make it. I think those are my favorite out of what you've got, though. Like looking at pictures of them and stuff, those are they're so freaking gorgeous. They are amazing animals, Um, and it's really—I'll be honest—it's really hard to get a good picture of them. The every time I point a camera at them, the camera like takes a second to focus, and everything looks great. You can see all the colors, and then it's like as soon as the, the camera gets on the animal all the color washes out and uh, I don't know what, if it's their pattern or, or whatnot, but I just, I have a real hard time 
capturing their their real colors coming through. You just gotta uh, put that thing in, in manual focus and just go machine gun crazy and brrr, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think take, so. Take four hundred rapid shots and you'll get two good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they are um, they're another kind of uh, dream species. I I kept dwarf monitors in the past um, in the early two thousands, and I had never been successful. Uh, I was never successful in the past. I had one sand monitor lay a clutch for me the day that I was supposed to sell the animals, uh, supposed to ship them. And uh, she did. Unfortunately, I tried my best to incubate those eggs. Uh, I wasn't successful and uh, made sure she was healthy for another two weeks and then shipped her off because I had already been paid. Um, and at the time I was kind of getting out of, uh, reptiles. I had some other stuff going on. Um, so, well, I won't say getting out of them, but downsizing my collection at the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really nice to, uh, get back into them. But one of the things I always was curious about were the Indonesian dwarf monitors. And, uh, as I came back into the hobby, I still had that, you know, in, rolling around in the back of my head. And as I start looking into them, I start finding out that uh, basically they're not being imported anymore. And I mean, you used to see Timor uh, monitors, and, and at the time they're called Blue Spot Timor monitors. Yeah. Um, you know, you would see them all over the place on the, the classifieds. You know, seventy-five dollars, hundred dollars. Um, yeah, they come and, in the same shipments with the blue tails and the legitimate mangrove monitors. Right, know, black roughnecks. They all come in on the same, you know, quote unquote big lizard shipments, and then it kind of just dried up. Absolutely, and that you know that was a shock. Uh, so I set a goal to try to. I uh, told my wife, "Hey, this is something I want to try to get into. Try to scramble for what I can find." Um, I was able to find a couple animals here and there uh some of them were you know a little beat up uh, i'm not sure the ages on them uh got a slug clutch of timor monitors um so i know at least i i have a female in there uh yeah. but she's she's pretty beat up i'll be honest um so i'm just trying to do my best to keep her healthy at this point and uh hopefully she'll really come together over the next year um that the pair of peacock monitors that laid that clutch. I've seen some breeding activity out of them, um, but no more clutches since that first one. Uh, I was able to get a second pair of uh, peacock monitors and working with uh, Dan over at DM Exotics, I basically said, hey, I'm looking for uh, Indonesian dwarf monitors. And whatever you can get, I'll take. And um, so he's been trying to uh get together what he can but even then the the imports you know they're just not available so um i was able to pick up i want to say 10 animals altogether from dan um and yeah they're, they're pretty interesting um the back story on these that i'm getting is that they are from they were came to me as Timor monitors uh, from Flores Island. Uh, and as they've been growing and coloring up, they look 
pretty similar to the uh, peacock monitors. But even then, their their pattern, their uh, their colors are a bit different. So I'm kind of trying to see where that you know where that goes and how they look as full adults. They're they're getting there. They're uh, young adults now. So um, that's an interesting little project I'm working on, and I have high nice. hopes for. It. So hopefully, we can keep those around in the uh, in the hobby. How do yeah, the, absolutely. How how big do the peacock monitors compare to like Aki's or the Timors? About the same size. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Um, the Timors and the in the the peacock adults that I have are uh, the same size, um, roughly about that that two foot mark. And uh, yeah, they're they're a really great size monitor. I'm. My hope is that with a few generations of captive bred animals, they won't be as shy as those uh, wild caught parents of theirs. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, nothing worse than having a great looking animal and it's hiding all the time. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but they're getting a lot more used to me, honestly. As long as I don't make direct eye contact, if I turn my back to them and I'm feeding the snakes, they all want to watch me. As soon as I turn <laughs> around and pay any attention to them, they go scattering off. So, uh, Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, I'm still on the hunt for Similis. That's the other. That's the third Indonesian dwarf monitor. Um, I, as far as I know, there's not too many in the U.S. I hope whoever has them, you know, can be successful with them. I really want them to stick around. Uh, I think they could, you know, really be great. Like you said, uh, Justin, they're they're a great looking animal. Uh, I have one animal in particular, an adult, who's pink and gold and orange and um, blue spots on him, and he's, he's just an insane-looking animal. So, uh, yeah. And what's your what's your setup for like those in the Timors? Like, I have them in a few different setups. I'm trying to figure out what they like, um, what I'm seeing them use. So I have a two pair in the the big exoterras those three foot by three foot exoterras mm-hmm. um i've modified them a bit of course um but I'm, I'm lucky in that my warehouse i can control the ambience to a certain degree so the humidity and temperature uh i can control over there and um but a little little modification to those and some nest boxes that's what the um, both clutches that I, I've received, the infertile clutch and the, the good clutch that I uh, that I nuked. Um, those animals both laid in those um, in a nest box at the bottom. And then I've also been keeping them in some four-foot and some six-foot enclosures and seeing what they like with a little more room, uh, some with more hides, some with less hides. What's the height really, on those? Uh, Two-foot and three-foot. And then, like, do your, your basking sites, like, is it, do you have, like, uh, a cascaded basking site where they can get super close or they can get farther and farther and farther away, or is it just rocks at the bottom? Nope. Uh, I have an elevated basking spot in both of, uh, actually, all of their enclosures. Uh, that creates its own little gradient as they can move to it and move away from it. Um, and because they like to hide so much, what I've actually done is use cork tubes, uh, larger size cork tubes at approximately a 45 degree angle under the, uh, the basking site. And then within that cork tube, 
I've layered some other pieces of either bark or in some cases I've even used uh, egg crate in there. And so they can actually get up um, on the top part. So they're inside the cork tube, but on the top part of that egg crate, they can stay in the high 90s. And then just under that and moving down a little bit, you know, they can drop into the high 80s and down to the lower 80s. Um, so they can stay hidden and kind of choose their own uh, uh, gradient without me, you know, looking at them. Awesome. <laughs> so. Super cool. And then uh, their, their basking site overall, I keep lower. They weren't using the high basking spots like the Australian stuff was. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I can tell, they actually, they try to stay out of the light. Unless, unless they're feeding, unless they can smell me coming with food, uh, or they are breeding, which I've seen some, some breeding activity. Um, they pretty much stay hidden, but it's, it's kind of funny when they're breeding, they could care less. They're all over the cage out in the open looking at me as I'm looking at them and, um, you know, just in, the, in that trance. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see their, their, uh, behaviors during different times. So, um, you know, I, I got a big interest in those and pre pre coronavirus thing, I was actually planning, uh, this spring to go over to Indo with my wife, make a little vacation out of it and, uh, see what we could see. Um, cool. maybe see some, some monitors. Yeah. I mean, monitors along with hopefully, you know, some Timor pythons and a few other things Hell that yeah. live around there. So. <laughs> Hell yeah. So let me ask you, since uh, you've got the Kimberly's, have you thought about the Pilbara's? Yes. Um, yes, I have. A, I, that's a dream species for me. I've had a, I've kept Pilbara's twice in the past. And um, it's one of those stories where all of them turned out to be male. Oh. Um, <laughs> so at one point I did pick up a female, um, a known female, cost me an arm and a leg. And, uh, but that was at the same time, that was a couple months before I decided to downsize. And so I ended up letting go of that pair. Um, I do have something in the works as far as Pilbara. So I'm just waiting for that to happen. Um, nice. I'll be, I'll be watching you intently for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are, uh, I, <laughs> man, they are, they are such a funny monitor. Um, if you've ever if you've ever seen a sidewinder uh, move around, they don't move like a normal snake. And I would have to say the same thing about Hillbars is they do not move like a normal lizard, especially if you have these cool vertical shelves in their enclosure and everything. Um, fully expect them to do a flying jump kick off of your face <laughs> and out of the enclosure. So uh, yeah, I, that was a yeah. I, I had, I think at the time that thing was, you know, $3,500 back in the past. And, um, I shut that whole house down for a week until I found that animal. So, uh, <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. That was a, that was an interesting time. And they, they like run sideways and like up vertical and everything. They're almost like a, almost have like gecko ability, right? Yeah. They, they kind of defy gravity. Uh, <laughs> they can, as far as I know, they can teleport. So uh, yeah. you'll see them one place, and they will be out in another place as quick as you can. You know, you, your vision doesn't keep up with them sometimes. Um, yeah. 
and the way not, I was gonna say, not like not to say that any of the people that I associate with would ever touch a protected species in the wild, but from what I gather, if you were allowed to touch them, they're damn hard to catch. From what I gather, <laughs> <laughs> I could only imagine, especially yeah. if you're on their uh, on their home ground, you know. Yeah, home, <laughs> home field advantage. I'm surprised we have any at all. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they they're in the works. Um, awesome. We'll see how that goes. And you know, the pygmy mulgas uh, are another one that are just a great monitor. I, I kept a couple for a little while. Um, I ended up getting out of that project, and but it's something in the future that I hope to get into again. I, they're a wonderful monitor, uh, a little smaller than the Ackies, and uh, they have they have some crazy personality on them. So hopefully those will swing my way again. Cool. Out of the smaller monitor species, which one do you think is sort of the best one to start out with? Hmm. I would say, you know, I, I'd still have to say Ackies. I would mm-hmm. say it's not too far off from the rest of the Australian dwarfs that we have available. Mm-hmm. Um, their care and whatnot day-to-day is very similar um but ackies are just they're tanky they're durable uh they're forgiving especially the females when it comes to reproducing uh there's some of the other ones some of the more slender body uh, like the kimberly rocks and uh even the tristis you know they don't really give you too much leeway when it comes to the reproduction issues so mm-hmm. um if you're going to start off, I would say definitely Ackies. Learn to read those animals. Learn to read their signs and get good at watching for it. And uh, it will help you if you go into other monitors. Um, I remember the first time I saw my, my Tristis girl get uh, kind of swell up. I thought she just ate a good meal. I thought she ate a lot of what I put in there for her. And because uh, she, she would stay hidden a lot. And next thing I know... Here comes this little toothpick of an animal crawling out one day, and I <laughs> wow. remind myself to uh, dig up the nest box, and sure enough, she had laid some eggs in there, and uh, all bad, unfortunately, at the time. She had a couple bad clutches before giving me a good clutch, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this clutch she's down with right now is going to be a really good one. So, um, okay. yeah, I would definitely say Ackies for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, of the of the Ackies, which ones would you say like? Number one go-to, I want to get into dwarf monitors. Would you say like the yellow, the red? You know, Is there a particular type or just Ackies in general? I would say Ackies in general. I've kept both. Um, not now. Not Currently, I just keep reds. Uh, but in the past, I've kept yellows. I've kept reds. Um, people will say that there's a difference between their demeanor. I can't really say I've ever seen that in my own experience. And in fact, to this date, the hardest bite I've ever had from a monitor was from a, a yellow Aki, a sub-adult yellow Aki who just bulldogged me for a good 20 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah, and did not want to let go. You know, at the time, that was in the past, they were still not hard to come by, but, you know, um, not very uh, uh, available. And so it, I just had to take that bite. I was afraid of hurting that animal at all. So <laughs> just bear with it. It would, it would look at me. It would open its eye, look at me, close its eye, and bite down a little harder. And uh, <laughs> just, just bite your lip and give it hell. Yep. So, so I own um, you. 
Yeah. And, you know, from that's just my own experience. I, I really haven't seen a difference at all. Um, if other people have, you know, it, it could be that is their experience, of course. Uh, it could be their individuals. But to me, there's no difference. I've had no problem with the, uh, the reds that I have now, any of the animals I have right now. Uh, the only one to take a bite was my son. This was just a couple of weeks ago. He was kind of holding it against his chest, and the animal decided to run up his chest and bite uh, one of his nostrils. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and uh, it was doing the same thing, that whole bulldog. And what I had him do was uh, he was still holding on to it. And, of course, my, my first reaction was to grab the animal. I said, okay, bud, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to let go of the animal. And as soon as we did, sure enough, it tried to take off. I was able to grab it real quick. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the only bite we've sustained so far from the monitors. So. Are your Aggies pretty pretty mellow, though? Because everything I've, I've heard, I, I swear we did an episode on Aggies not that long ago, and I looked through all the episodes, and I don't I don't know if, if I'm just thinking it happened or what, but... Uh, from what I've heard, like they can be fairly mellow, but for the most part, they're kind of they're kind of skittish. Mm, you know, I would say it really just depends on how you have them set up and the amount of interaction you give them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think that a you know back in the past we would keep dwarf monitors or, or monitors in general in those cattle troughs, those big metal cattle troughs. Yeah. Um, and I think it really limited their ability to see, well, to see out and to see the world around them and get used to the world around them. So in the past, yeah, they were real skittish. They would see me from up above come in, you know, uh, every other day or whatnot to do something mm-hmm. and they'd all take off and hide. Um, but this go around keeping them now um they watch me they come out they interact um they see they can see when i have food um they'll jump onto my hands and and look for food you know tongue flick me all over the place and i think a lot of it just has to do with letting them be able to see you so uh putting them in something with a glass front Mm mm-hmm uh, really, they're really intelligent animals, and and they will learn your habits. They will learn if you're a threat to them or not. And through the you know just the process of your uh, feeding and, and regular care, they'll get more and more used to you, especially as they get a little bit older. Yeah. And uh, I've really had no issues with them. Just kind of letting um, them learn that you're not a threat over time. Right. Yeah. And you know that I've noticed uh, some behaviors change. Um, after a female lays, she might act a certain way. Uh, if you change them into a new enclosure, they might have to go through that, that process again, mm-hmm. uh, feeling you out and everything. But uh, for the most part, you know, um, yeah, I've, I've had nothing but but uh, great interactions with all the dwarf animals, actually. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, despite their size, it's still a monitor. You know right. I mean, it still has that intelligence factor to it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can see it 100%. Um, and, you know, to a certain point in life, I had only kept them in captivity in my house and whatnot. Uh, I didn't really have any experience um, for years and years and years until when I when I went on my honeymoon in 2018. Uh, we went to, for part of it, we went over to Sri Lanka 
and um, I got to see some wild monitors and to see the amount of intelligence they have uh, really surprised me and it was a good experience for me. Uh, I had one sit there, a bangled monitor, uh, as I tried to build a, a quick noose out of a hiking pole and <laughs> and some, some uh, line and uh, it just sat there and watched me uh, be an idiot, try to rig this thing up and so now I have this makeshift noose and I'm trying to put this noose over its neck and it's letting me actually get around its head. And just at that last second, all it did was a simple back step, <laughs> you know, tongue flicking the noose and uh, entertained me for a little while longer. But, uh, I mean, he had me pegged. That animal just figured me out from, from the get go. He's, um, he's probably saying, he's like, what, you think you're the first tourist? To yeah, do this? no kidding. You think right. you're the first person to try this trick, buddy? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, even the, they would let you get to a certain uh, proximity from them until they felt like you were a threat. And if you were, if, like I was, running towards them, of course, they're running away. If you were just walking past them, um, they could almost care less. I There was a couple different points. There was one, one uh, experience in particular where we're cruising along in a uh, rental car and we look over to see, I don't know, 20 or so school kids in their white uniforms on the side of the road. And there's this full-grown uh, bangled monitor just sitting there next to him like it was a neighborhood dog. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the kids didn't care. The monitor didn't care. And my mind was blown, you know. Um, there was another during that same trip where we're going down this little channel in this lake. Uh, going back to this cinnamon island or whatever it was called and uh, to see how they processed uh, cinnamon sticks and the banks under under the bushes uh, were just covered with adult water monitors and uh, <laughs> I tell the guy I'm like stop stop the boat stop the boat uh, I want to get real close to this thing at least get some pictures which I was able to but I was close enough to go hands-on with this adult water monitor. And the thing's just looking at me like, mm, I dare you. Go ahead. Get yourself a nice handful. Let's see what happens. And, uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. I ended, uh, I ended up listening to my wife and thinking to myself, even I, even if I did get you know both hands on this animal and this animal somewhat under control, I'm going to be pulling a six-foot water monitor into a little boat with my uh, with my new bride. I don't think it's going to go over well. So those no, things are probably like guy squirrels. Yeah, those things are probably right. like squirrels to them. They're like, "What do you want that for?" Exactly, exactly. Uh, it was pretty cool, and you know, I I was not expecting to see monitors there at all. Um, I wasn't even thinking lizards so much, and we walked out onto the beach uh, the next morning. We had gotten there that night, uh, the night before. And uh, went to our room and we walked out to see the pool area, which was had one of those like infinity pools that looks like it's going into the ocean. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an illusion. So we went to the edge of the pool. We're walking around. I'm looking over the side at some of the bigger rocks on the beach. And it's covered with brand new baby monitors running all over the place, catching these little fast moving isopods that were running all over the rocks. And yeah, my my mind was blown at that point. So I took a couple pictures and uh, little little baby uh, bangled monitors, and uh, that was that was a cool experience. 
Yeah. So, what's your sort of daily routine with the with the Ackies? I mean, are you giving them UVB like all day? Like, what's the sort of what's your? Ooh, you asked some controversial questions. Well, I'm asking because <laughs> I want to know because I've always wanted an Aki, man. So I gotta live vicariously. So, yeah. Here's what I'll say. In the past, uh, I never used UVB, um, and I kept. Now, I I, I wasn't successful um breeding anything back then but i kept uh kept tristis uh sand monitors pilbara ackies uh, a couple other um animals i never used UB- uvb and i never had an issue that's the truth uh this time around when i first uh set up the ackies in my son's room i set them up with uvb i figured it's not gonna hurt them it's gonna make the, the cage look kind of cool you know, we put the fake uh, T-Rex skull in there and a few other little props and uh, something my, my, my son would really dig. And under that light, things looked absolutely great. So we threw that in there. And uh, once I had the first clutch, I actually raised some animals with it and some animals without it, just as my own little experiment. And as I got more animals, I messed around with some different um, different approaches, both with and without UVB. And I can honestly say I personally have not noticed a difference. From what I can see in their behaviors with my own two eyes, I have not noticed any difference. Um, that gets me in trouble a lot when I say that, but it's the <laughs> truth. And, well, um, well, let me ask, like on the prey items that are not, you know, rodent based or like vertebrate based per se, um, are you still using like vitamins and minerals and supplements and calcium, whatever else or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I am definitely dusting uh, insects and I do a lot of my own bugs. So I know what's going into them. Um, they are getting dusted. Uh, I also I don't hesitate to feed uh, rodents you know, not regularly as much as the insects are the staple, but I will still feed uh, chopped rodents to the animals. Um, and I, I fed them pinkies. That's not a problem. I usually save the pinkies for the females uh, or for younger animals, um, just to get some extra into them. Um, but with adult animals, I will chop up a, it gets a little gross, but uh, I'll chop up a whole mouse and let them tear it apart. That way I know they're getting a lot of that um, <clears throat> roughage in there, you know, the bones and the, the other things that are included in the whole prey item like yeah. that. Uh, just making it a little easier for them to, uh, to get to. Now, that being said, I, I also wouldn't hesitate to throw an adult mouse, a frozen thawed, you know, adult mouse in with the, uh, the Ackies. They will, they will figure it out themselves. That's for sure. So, uh, so, all that being said, currently I am doing some more experiments um, with some holdbacks for, with Ackies right now. So I've recently separated the clutch. Half have UVB right out of the egg. The other half don't. And I'm just doing this for myself and just seeing if I can see any difference in the growth rate, mm-hmm. um, anything at all. I'm even entertaining uh, maybe getting some blood work done every three months. Um, and then not only doing that, but once those animals are adults, hopefully they'll breed and then doing the same thing with their offspring 
and seeing if there's a difference in clutch sizes, if there's a difference in the babies and how they reproduce. So it's, it's going to be an ongoing project, but uh, I, I can say to this point in time, I have noticed no difference. And how, uh, how much exposure are they getting? Is it like all, all day long? Is it only for a few hours a day? It would be uh, at the least, I would say, you know, nine to 12 hours a day, um, depending on, you know, the season and, mm-hmm. and what kind of light cycle I'm using for the ones with UVB. Um, but one of the things I, I was never able to get past is um, the fact that we wouldn't have a lot of these animals today if UVB mattered uh, in UVB bulbs per se. And I, I say that just because, uh, you know, a guy you might be familiar with Frank Rita's, um, he never used UVB and he's kind of accredited with most of these animals being in the U S uh, being available for us today. So I'm hoping that, you know, there is some benefit with the way technology has progressed and, uh, research has progressed, but, um, from just my own experience, what I can see, it just hasn't mattered yet. Um, so I can tell you this much though, with the, some of the products that are out there, uh, Zilla makes a, uh, UVB bulb for their mini halogen fixtures. I'm really messing around with a lot of those for the babies. Um, yeah, man, those mini halogens are absolutely awesome. I have so many animals now. Yeah, those those things. It's uh, I I actually had sent Justin a couple pictures of a new setup I was messing around with, and I'm able to get the the temperatures that I want to see uh, for babies around 115 um, in a setup with basically only using 31 watts of electricity, and that's for the heat light and the uh, UVB bulb in with those uh, Zilla. Uh, lights. I'm using that the dual low profile. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also have their pro soles. I use those too in some of the larger animals uh, enclosures. But with the baby setups right now, it's basically using that uh, dual fixture, six watts of UVB on one side, 25 watts of uh, the, the mini halogen, the G9 on mm-hmm. the other side. And yeah, I'm I'm really happy with it. You know. And those uh, the, those it, sit on top, or those like mounted to the the top those i have in the enclosure itself with basically a solid top very little ventilation just enough for airflow Uh um and so far from using them i'm not having any issues uh of course if i start seeing something pop up where the the ground is just staying too wet or something's getting moldy then i'll i'll add a couple more holes into it but as it stands right now everything's working perfect um for the ba- all the babies are doing great. You know, some common signs you'll see a lot of times when there's, you're not giving the babies uh, humidity or you're not giving them a place to, like a microclimate inside your enclosure to get that humidity, uh, you're going to start seeing tail tips and toes start falling off and getting into that whole game. And, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's never good. And that happens real easy right out of the egg, that first shed, if you don't, you know, afford them, um, some type of humidity that shed's going to get stuck to those little toes yeah. and, you know, they're tiny. So they will start turning black and, and 
falling off. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it happens to a lot of people. And uh, it's just a matter of, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, that's another thing I, I get into, and it, it's kind of gotten me in trouble sometimes with some of the other keepers out there is uh, there's multiple approaches to keeping animals and keeping dwarf monitors. You don't have to always go to the four by two or six by two box with a thousand pounds of dirt in there, yeah. uh, slam on some heat and call it good. You know, um, unfortunately that's, that's still out there and it, it, it works. I want to be real clear about that. It does work. Uh, there's no problems with that, but I just, I kind of feeling out what else can we do? Where else can this go? And mm -hmm. some guys have, um, you know, starting off, it was always believed you needed whole cage nesting for dwarf monitors, but I've had a lot of success with, uh, nest boxes. Um, you know, clutch after clutch, uh, from the, from the Ackies and now, uh, similar with the, the Tristus with nest boxes, um, some of the other animals I use whole cage nesting and, and both have worked fine. It's more of a matter of if you're going to use a nest box, is the soil or whatever substrate you're using in there, is it damp enough, not overly wet, but is it damp enough? And is it in the right temp zones that the animal's going to use? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a bigger deal than, you know, um, than having whole cage nesting is just, you can even have whole cage nesting, but if all your heat is on top and there's no, you're not hitting the right temps in the ground, then it's going to be useless to them. And I see a lot of people do that by using uh, what's commonly referred to the Rita stack, uh, basically a stack of boards that are offset with uh, another piece of wood. So they create hides under there. Those work great, absolutely great. But if you have those stacked too high and your top basking spot, you know, you're hitting your 130 or whatnot. But then the ambient or the, the, the ground temperature is in the 70s, you're going to run into some problems. Um, so you need to be able to recognize your own setup, your, your own room, wherever you're keeping the animals, and uh, make sure that the climate inside their cage is, is what they're going to use. They're, uh, not only are you providing them a basking spot, but you got to get those whole cage ambience up. Um, I have a lot of success just keeping them in the 80s. The cool end, as long as I'm in that low 80 mark on that end and uh, the mid-80s on or higher 80s on the other end, um, it works pretty good. And do they get a night drop? I have used both. Um, I'm still experimenting with some things. Like, you know, only being back into this for for two years, I'm still learning a lot. Um so I've had success running 24-hour lights, whole cage nesting. I've also had success just using a nest box, 24-hour heat. Um, but I'm also using some night drops now with the more slender-bodied monitors uh, and some of the bigger animals. And just giving them something a little different and seeing how it works, seeing how their behaviors are, uh, if anything changes uh, in their, their nesting, mm -hmm. especially with the females, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting back and still messing around with things, tweaking things and taking it all in. And what I can honestly say so far is it seems like there's a lot that works. There's a lot of different approaches that you can make work. Um, I think that's know, really, that's really reassuring to hear because I know there's a lot of people that want to get into some of the smaller species and 
I almost I won't say that they hesitate to do it, but in their mind they have this grandiose thing of oh you have to have this you have to have that you have to have this yeah they kind of overthink it a little bit that most definitely I mean my, myself included like I was just talking with Billy about doing a, a different types of substrate layers for arid environments so I can try and grow spinifex grass in captivity like indoors and him and yeah. I were talking about having different substrate layers so that you know it's more humid the more far down you go but then the top is still loomy enough for like the spinifex roots to to snatch in there and whatnot and it basically sounds kind of like I gotta kind of copy what you're doing in a sense of having the thermal gradient in the tank or in the enclosure excuse me as well as in the physical dirt yes yeah it, it gets difficult because uh let's say you know so it can be a problem with the like a glass tank or the exoterras because a lot of times at the edges of the tank you're going to hit whatever your room ambience are so things i've done to kind of counteract that is uh wrapped exoterras in um, that reflective bubble wrap, basically. Um, uh, I forget what they call that stuff, but you see people use it on garage doors for insulation and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but something that simple can add a lot of heat and, um, uh, just your regular, you know, project foam underneath the, uh, tank to, uh, help insulate it a little bit can help bring those ambience in the soil up. Um, other things, that I've noticed just doing this is there are times when somebody will make this huge, you know, eight foot cage for a pair of Ackies, but yes, the Ackies will run around the surface of it and uh, they might test dig in some certain areas, but they can't really use that 2000 pounds of dirt that's in that cage because it's not at the the temperatures that they're going to need for anything. Um, So, and a lot of times you start, you know, watering that down, it's, staying in the low 70s room temperature and it's wet because that moisture is going to be at the bottom yeah. for the most part and you actually dig it up and you got nasty smelling substrate you got some you know <laughs> some other problems you're introducing into your your cage um because you're not actually getting those those temperatures that you need throughout the whole cage so mm-hmm. i took a different approach just to make a uh, a whole cage usable to them uh make sure that anywhere in their cage is going to be in a certain range of temperatures and just to see how it worked. And so far it's worked pretty good. And, um, the nest box, you know, one of the, one of the reasons I think it works so well is because it's its own box sitting inside the enclosure. So if your ambience inside the enclosure are, you know, low eighties at the lowest, all the dirt inside that box basically is going to also be in the low eighties. And um, you're not going to have that issue of having too cold of a, a spot in one corner or something that's unusable to them. So uh, I usually, you know, I'll put it in there lengthwise, the nest box lengthwise. So one end of the, the nest box is usually just low 90s. And then throughout the dirt, throughout the nest box, it actually gets into the uh, mid to low 80s on the other side. Have you had a female drop? in the enclosure despite having a perfect nest box? I have, what I have had happen is a female has dropped, uh, bad eggs on the surface from time to time. Um, just somewhere in the enclosure and then she will nest, uh, and give good eggs for the rest of the clutch. 
So uh, that's happened a few times with a few different animals. Um, I'm not sure exactly why I'm seeing that because the few animals that I'm thinking of specifically have gone on to then lay perfectly good clutches after that. So I don't know if it was inexperience on the female's part or something that I can change. And since it wasn't consistent for me, it's hard to hard to gauge. So I haven't changed anything yet. In the yes, it's not like it's not like she knew they were bad and she wanted to, she didn't care and just drop them on the surface and then go and lay the good ones per se. Like that, that wasn't necessarily the goal. It just kind of happened. Right. Right. So I, you know, um, if I start seeing more of a pattern, uh, I'll be sure to, you know, let some people know, or just, just make note of it. Um, and that's part of this whole process, getting back into things is, you know, just playing with ideas I've had for years and trying out different things that I think will work or seeing something different in the animals and, and uh, just playing around with different ideas, trying different things, getting away from the thousand pounds of dirt box that I, I used to keep. And I still, in some instances keep and just trying out different things. Uh, I try to pull from a lot of the ideas, the, the tree monitor guys have um, and try to add that into some of the different species I keep. Um, sometimes I see people do things with, you know, uh, even snakes or other, other animals, other reptiles, um, and they're great ideas. And there's no reason why those same ideas can't be incorporated into, um, monitor keeping or vice versa. Something you might do with monitors, go ahead and give that to, to some of the snakes out there, Mm -hmm. see how they use it. And, you know, just see how the animal does, just try it out for yourself see what your animal does and how they use it. And it, it's really been fun for me. Well, I think that's what people are kind of afraid to experiment, you know, in a sense. And I'm all oh, yeah. for experimenting, you know, as long as it's not anything that's like super detrimental to the animal. Um, but it's that kind of stuff that is necessary for the hobby to evolve and the hobby to progress. Cause I mean, we, you know, chondros are a great example of that. Like people still think that we're, you know, chondros are meant to be kept the way they were kept 30 years ago. And it's the complete opposite of that now. Yeah. But the only way we found that out was people actually saying, you know what, I'm actually going to try keeping them at cooler temperatures. I'm actually going to try keeping them drier or feeding them less and seeing what happens. You know, it's just it takes people like like yourself that are willing to play around with things and test new ideas and try things out instead of just being like, well, this is what we know has worked in the past, so I'm just going to stick to that and hug it and not deviate. Right. Well, I, I also think that, I mean, not to sound cocky or like, you know, generalized the three of us as elitists or anyway, anything like that, but I think that all three of us having been doing this as long as we have and being as, for lack of a better word, obsessed with the species that we're working with, we're going to learn everything we can about it. I feel like all three of us could confidently do some of the experimentation knowing that if it didn't go right or the animal started to not do well, we could always reverse it and go back to what we know in terms of keeping the animal proper. I think a lot of people that are just getting into the species are hesitant to experiment because they don't know if they could bring it back from, from, from crashing or bring it back from doing less as less well or however you're going to phrase it. And that's, that's fine. Like I don't blame them. Yeah. But I mean, for people that have been in it a while, you know, looking at the way these, like, like I said, like when I asked about night drops, you know, the first thing I would think of is like, if they're in sort of the environment that I am under the impression they're in, because I honestly don't know a ton about them, they probably get pretty cool at night. 
Like the nighttime or at cooks least were they least at, expected. Right. Yeah. So I would look at that. I'd read as many like papers as I could find on them as far as like what studies have been done. You know, look at the weather patterns and where they're at and sort of base how I'd be keeping them off of that. And we've done that yeah. with chondros and it's it's come to be very helpful and we've done it with other species too but it's just one of those things where like people i don't know like if it ain't broke there's no need to fix it i think is kind of the mentality with a lot of sure with a lot of it yep um and if that's the way someone wants to keep it sure if it's been proven and we know that it works why not but we don't know how like things could be better we just have to experiment and try things to know that for a fact yeah right yeah and you know i take some uh sometimes has some different ideas about things because a lot of times the reasoning we'll hear is that well this is what the animal has in the wild so we need to replicate what the animal has in the wild Mm -hmm. and i totally get that i totally understand that but at the same time you could take um you could take some of these australian monitors and say well in their in their range uh, out there in Australia, they get into freezing temperatures. Is anyone really going to do that right. in captivity? No, we're absolutely not. So we got to be careful how we use that reasoning and that argument. And even when it comes back to UVB, one of the reasons I want to do kind of my own thing just for myself, of course I'll share it, whatever I find, but um, is that we can take blood tests from the animal and say, well, they have a higher level of this. And we noticed that in wild animals, they also have similar levels of this in their blood. So obviously it's a good thing. And I, I'm just a little hesitant to think like that. And I, I have a couple questions. And my questioning is along the lines of how do we know that that is actually a good thing? Because they have that in the wild. Right. Why, you know, what if it is, yeah. what if it is radiation that they actually can't get away from? They have to be exposed to out in the wild Mm -hmm. what if there was a way for that animal to reach a certain operating temperature of certain body temperature without without exposing themselves to that same radiation would that animal choose that and that's where i i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing giving them you know a, a measured amount of radiation inside their cage right uh what if it what if it actually isn't a good thing for them mm-hmm. or what if they can do everything without it that they are supposed to do um so these are just some of the questions i have now that's not to say uvb hasn't been great in other animals and a lot of times people go back to um of course iguanas and whatnot but uh phil as you mentioned there there's a difference between what these animals eat also um yeah. so i you know there's there's a lot of work to be done i'm just hesitant to say this is how it's been done this is how it needs to be done no further improvement needed and um and believe me if i find out that that there is some some benefit to uvb i won't hesitate to switch everything over to uvb that's you know i'm not out on a crusade to prove it wrong i just haven't noticed any benefit in Mm -hmm. my own experience yet yeah yeah it's it's, you've, you've not noticed a reason specifically that says in your mind i have to do this to succeed in other words 
if they're not using it, why am I going to have it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Right. Right, right. And I'm saying this specifically to my monitors, uh, nothing else. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not speaking for every species out there. I'm just just my monitors. And, um, you know, I, I've i heard people that swear by it, um, people that have run into problems with uh, metabolic bone disease, um, and they have added UV, uh, UVB, and change some things around and it has gone away for them. Well, there's so also a there's lot of a variables lot of... in that too, you know, cause it's like, you don't know oh, yeah. like what are they being, what are they feeding their animals to where maybe they would be lacking calcium like that. Yeah. They're feeding right. their friggin' you know? elbow. Yeah. Right. Right. So there's different variables. That's why I want to do it my own way. I want to feed the animals the same. The only difference that they're going to have is one is going to have UVB and one is not or what different setups. I plan on doing this. Uh, not only am I doing it with the Ackies right now, um, I'm holding all the um, uh, this first clutch of the Tristis back. I'm going to try it with the Tristis. Um, the I I can't really do it with the the Kimberly Rocks right now because their first enclosure it was set up with UVB just to try to hit those temps. I was experimenting mm-hmm. with the uh, the setups and it already had it in there, so I can't say. You know that they've never been exposed to it, um, but in the future, you know, I, I plan on just keeping it an ongoing experiment um, and seeing if if I can find any difference. Maybe using some different products, uh, different uh, manufacturers that are out there, and uh, seeing if there is any benefit. And if there is, believe me, I'll I'll be the first to share yeah. my actual findings. But it just seems like a lot of our evidence we have right now is is a lot of anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, just what people are saying, I just point me to a paper that says, here's, here's the blood work. Here's the reason. And here's why it benefits them. Here's what we saw and how it benefits them. Um, it, and I'm again, talking specifically about monitors. Um, so, you know, and if those studies are already out there, somebody please send them my way. Um, I don't hesitate to read what I can find on this stuff. Um, you know, and then I can kind of formulate my own opinions off of more information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the things we, we've seen it in snakes too. Like I said, with chondros, you know, same thing. Like they've found some up in the the higher elevations that are in like the fifties. It's like, am I going to go now keep my chondros in the fifties? No, but it does tell me that I can keep them cooler. Like they can get into you know the seventies or you know lower seventies, and they'll probably be fine. So it's like mm-hmm. that, that kind of, it's just, yeah, there's a caveat to it, I guess, where it's like you, you're looking at this information not to follow it to a T, but you are, right. you're looking at it so that you kind of have a better understanding of like, now we know condors are, are a lot tougher actually than we originally thought. Like they're not these delicate flowers that we thought they were for 20 years. You know, they're yeah, actually right. much more adept at, at change and stuff like that than we originally thought. And I think that makes them easier to keep. And now if something happens, you're like, okay, you know, power's out. My room is getting cooler. The chondros will be fine. I know that. Uh, it's just, it's learning about that species. You know, like Phil was saying, like Casey Cannon for Brettles, prime example. You know, he went out to Alice Springs and saw Brettles in the wild. And he took notes and he took temperatures and data and stuff like that. And I think he... He, he brought the UV <clears throat> index reader, didn't he? I think so. But he, he took that information and he... He didn't, he didn't try to mimic it hardcore, but he, he took it and he used it in a practical way with his animals. 
Yeah. 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 I actually went out and bought one of those as well, just to uh, see what my my bulbs are throwing off the ones that I am using. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Yeah, trying to give them different range recommended ranges for whatever species that uh, uh, I'm using it on. And uh, I figured, you know, if I'm going to go all in in this and actually see, then I'm not going to do it halfway. I, I got to actually take some notes and uh, sure. <laughs> make sure the bulbs are good and not just throw a bulb in there and, you know, five years later say, oh, it doesn't work because I know they uh, they can uh, deteriorate to some degree. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like that. Um, another thing with dwarf monitors I got, I got blasted on when it happened was I posted that my, my female Aki, she, uh, she laid in that two foot exoterra, basically their raise up cage. As I was busy playing with snakes and getting the snakes set up, um, you know, she, she had that first clutch. And so I just shared with people, it surprised me. Uh, I thought that I would eventually, you know, be moving them into a four foot or six foot enclosure full cage nesting. Um, and I had to have all that in place for this to happen. And other than that, once she laid on the surface, she laid a great clutch. Uh, I went on to totally freak out and tell my wife, you know, Hey, I need to hurry up and build them a closure and enclosure. I need to get the stuff in place. Yada, yada, yada. And she says, well, why do you need to do that? Uh, she obviously doing fine. Well, you got a point. Okay. Well, it's still in the back of my head. I'm just going to make sure she's got some good food in her, get some weight back on her, and then I'll move her into that bigger enclosure. Well, it it surprised me how quick she laid another clutch. And uh, in that <laughs> same enclosure, you know, um, she still had great weight on her. And so – I decided, okay, hold on a second. She recovered fine. She laid another clutch in there. Let's see what else happens. So purposely at that point, then kept her in that enclosure. She went on to lay another clutch. Um, and she's and, by herself in there? No, she, she was with two other adults. Um, oh, okay. So there's three Ackies in a two-foot enclosure. And believe me, it was not my idea. This was a raise-up cage but I thought, hey, this is cool. I didn't think this was even a possible thing. I yeah. thought they needed all this other stuff. And so I tried to share that. And, ooh, the backlash I got off of that was just, you know, <laughs> basically. Yeah, people that don't even own that species. <laughs> well, yeah. there's, there's always going to be those, those if it ain't broke, don't fix it types, you know, because I saw it in Condros. You know, well, why, you know, right. you know why, why would you keep them like that? You know, and it's like, well, right. you don't, you, you can keep them however you want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, we, we are so quick to stick to what has worked for somebody else um, that that now becomes the gospel and there's no other improvement needed. And, you know, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, I tried to say, Hey, just offer this up for information and see what other people can do with it and what they thought. And um, it wasn't received well, but, at that point, I talked to, I talked to a few people, um, some guys that have been in it a lot longer than I have, and they said, you know, hey, basically what you guys just said, you know, um, you you're having this success. A lot of these people don't even keep this animal, or they're not right. having the same success. So 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, what I ended up doing was looking at that two foot enclosure and saying, okay, I know this works and this has continued to work. And since then I've also raised up other, other dwarf monitors in that cage and has worked just fine. Other animals have bred in that cage. Um, and it's just an ongoing experiment, but I took that idea of everything that is necessary is in this two foot enclosure. Now I can take this idea that this works and I can expand on it. And I can say that um, if I want to give the animal something else in this direction, just make sure it meets the same parameters, the same ambience and mm -hmm. whatnot that this same enclosure has. And I should be good. And so little by little, I started experimenting in different directions until I found, you know, um, yeah, my animals in the, the setups that I have them in are using their entire cage. Uh, they're using everything that's in there. And then I started thinking along the, long, the lines of height. Um, Ackies are known for being terrestrial. No problem with that. Um, I agree, they're terrestrial. But will they use more height? If I know an animal will lay in a two-foot um, box, basically, at the bottom can I go ahead and give this animal uh, some added height and what can I do with that? And some of the ideas I haven't done yet, but is to, you know, build a fake termite mound and, um, yeah, you know, something cool with that same idea, maybe use a cork tube and add those different layers inside that cork tube. So there's different ambience inside of there and then put it up towards the basking spot. So at the top, they can peek themselves out, you know, peek a head out, put their whole body out. And as they go down inside of it, this cork tube, it's not just hollow, there's different gradients within it. But for, you know, the aesthetics, I can make it look like something that I think is cool. And, sure. uh, you know, just play with those different ideas. And so far, you know, I've, I've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of success. Um, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and it seems to be working. So I'm right at this moment, unless something goes wrong, something that I have to adapt to, I'm going to keep going in that direction and just experimenting with things I think are cool mm -hmm. within the parameters of these ambience and this humidity uh, requirements that they have. So yeah. I've come to find with a lot of stuff, it's, it's not so much about the amount of space you're giving them, it's how efficiently you're using the space that they, they have. Right. Yeah. Yes. You, know, you can have a giant cage, and that's great. But if it's empty, it doesn't really do much. Like it's really no more effective than if you had it in a, a small cage with nothing as well. You know, yeah, you're putting a little kid in a mansion, but there's only one room that has toys and a bed and a TV. Yeah. Like, why would he go in all those other rooms? <laughs> yeah. There's no reason. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's basically that approach to things that I'm trying to take with. And finding out, you know, the differences between the Ackies uh, and the Kimberly Rocks and the the Peacock monitors and what they like to use. Um, there are some slight variations. Pretty much you can stay somewhat within the same general general idea of uh, dwarf monitors, like a, a, the basics of give them this uh, basking spot, give them this humidity, and give them uh, – uh, these ambients and a lot of them use pretty much the same thing. It's just slight variations. Mm -hmm. You know, I've noticed the, uh, the peak, the Indo stuff, they usually don't use the hotspots the same way that the Australian stuff do. So I don't have to give them that same, uh, or I haven't been giving them 
that same amount of heat, especially if they shy away from it. And what I've noticed is I see them out in the enclosure more with less heat. Um, I see them out when the lights are off a lot more rather than keeping them on a 24 hour light cycle. Um, so just some interesting things I'm trying to pay attention to. Do you have any like trail cams or like live cams or motion sensor cameras set up so you can, you know, fast forward through the day and see what times of the day they were doing what? Not yet. So it, a lot of this has happened so fast while, you know, having a regular job and, and family and kids and everything um, that I feel like I'm just holding on. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, we know the feeling. <laughs> so I'm still getting the warehouse where I want it to be, you know, making those enclosures you talked about briefly um, was one of the ideas I first had getting into there and building a loft on top. Cause I have 12 foot ceilings and you know, I'm, I'm five eleven, So I could make a, a whole lot of space out of that, um, that height that's in there. Oh yeah. Sure. And uh, so I've gotten to that. The, one of the main things I needed was a way to control the ambience in there. So that was the first thing that went in. Uh, of course, incubators uh, <laughs> set up properly for, for the different types of animals I'm keeping now. Um, Next on the list is adding cameras and Wi-Fi because I don't have Wi-Fi over there right now. Um, I would like to get to the point where pretty much the whole building I can run from my phone and I can check in on everything. So That'd be awesome. it is in the works. Yeah. Hopefully by spring I will have all the cages set up uh, for a couple different reasons. One, I want to see what they're doing. Two, it's hard build, you know, digging up an eight foot, uh, enclosure that you got two foot of dirt in for the, uh, the larger monitors, the sand monitors. Mm -hmm. That's a lot yeah. of digging, especially when you're thinking there's this golden little pile of eggs somewhere, you're, you're <laughs> digging that up like an archeologist, you know? So, <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. We are at, uh, the two hour mark. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at origins underscore reptile on Instagram and origins reptile on uh, Facebook. And uh, I hopefully will start a, maybe a website here soon. Uh, it's kind of in the back of my head to do so. Uh, but right now, yeah, that's where they can find me and uh, hopefully cool. they'll enjoy what they see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Heck yeah, man. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on, dude. It was no awesome. problem. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, <laughs> yeah. hope I didn't just jibber jabber the whole time. No, no, it's great because like it's you. You keep species that you know Justin and myself, as well as a lot of our peers, we all love and aspire to have one day. And you know, you're doing it. So rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dwarf monitors are great. They've always been a lip since I found out they existed. You know, I think it was like a nineteen early nineteen nineties in a reptile magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and there used to be a. Uh, website veranis.net and the king snake uh forums and whatnot started learning more and more about them and i just you know once i saw them i thought that was just the coolest thing in the world uh so yeah it stayed with me and and they are if you're ready for it you know uh snakes do spoil you you can kind of go at your own pace to a certain degree with snakes for monitors it's just hold on yeah <laughs> right <laughs> Ready or not. And, you know, you keep brettles, which is the superior Morelia, so you're good in our True. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Best snake on the planet, in my opinion. Now, <clears throat> some people may differ, but uh, 
no, for I mean, me, if it's a python and it's red, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, we finally all came to the conclusion and settled. We all agreed, the group of us, brettles are it. It's hard to top Absolutely. The, the complete package. Brettles rule the world. Yeah. Yeah, they are something else. So I hope to have some more success next year. Um, we're playing around with some of the new new morphs that are out there, but honestly, a, a classic brettles it's is hard to beat, just man. an awesome snake. I love the high black ones. Yeah. I oh, yeah. love the high oh, black yeah. ones. See, if you can keep that nice, I would love Retro. I think we lost him. Oh, I'm losing. Right. a minute. Sorry. Are you all still there? No worries. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It like it dropped out for me. Yeah, that's what we figured. Well, good stuff, man. I love it. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was uh, fun talking a little bit. I don't get to talk too much about reptiles, you know, around these parts. So. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was, like, scrolling through Instagram, and I was like, how come we haven't had him on yet? He keeps, like, all the same oh, stuff we like. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's they're good stuff. Uh, it just happened to be that way, the way things came, came together, so. Cool, man. All right. We will. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we'll talk to you later, man. Yeah, thanks right. for coming. All right, sounds good. Later. Bye-bye. That was a good one, Phil. That was a good one. I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed we it. Got, we got deep for a minute there. Yeah. I like that, like, though. Like That's deep. the kind of stuff. Like People don't need to be afraid to, to try out stuff. Within reason, yeah. obviously, you know, don't be like, my condor can handle 115 degree cage. It's fine. Let's try it. No, but yeah. use your brain. Try stuff out. Yeah. Keep the, the gears always got to be turning. Like, I mean, I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Like, what could I do? Like, I'll see something like online or I'll be reading an article about something, you know, be it something about Papua New Guinea, something interesting. Be like, I wonder if I can somehow take that and apply it to what I have. Of course. You just always, of course. always, always, always be improving. And, you know, going back to like what we we're talking about almost the whole show about like there's certain individuals that are a little bit pig headed, pig headed excuse me. And, you know, it's, oh, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. And like I have a friend, Rachel, she's one of my best friends. She's a professor of biology in, in Arizona. And one of her like mantras is one of the things we love about science is the fact that we can be proven wrong because it know, we know that it's making us more knowledgeable about it. Mm -hmm. And like, I love that philosophy is like, yeah, science is literally us just proving ourselves wrong so we can learn more about it and rock and roll, you know? Yeah. But some people, they just, uh, they haven't drank the Kool-Aid quite yet, I guess. Yep. Whatever. I'm, I'm one that prefers to progress and yeah. try things out and see what works and what doesn't. But Heck this yeah. was episode 98. 98. No, is it 98? It is 98. It's late. Um, this show is brought to you by Steve Snakesuary and his Venom Hot Sauce. Check him out on Facebook, at Snakesuary. And MP Cages and Exotics. If you want some awesome racks and cages, hunt down Sean. As well as... Go ahead. As well as by the letter B... For Brettles. 
Yeah. Like Sesame Street. Yep. Find Sean. Get a rack. Get a cage. MP Cages and Exotics on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Phil. Yes. Where if people want to follow you, buddy. Uh, at knobtails.ig on Instagram. Or catch us on Snakes and Stogies Monday nights live. Yeah. On the Herpeticulture Network Facebook page, the Palmetto Coast Exotics YouTube channel, and Twitch under Snakes and Stogies. The Herpeticulture Network, baby. You yeah. know you love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We will catch y'all later. No idea what the plan is for next week. We'll figure it out. But Thanks for listening. I think we've put out enough stuff the last couple of days to hold people over. Yeah, I, I think we have. It's been pretty good. I like it. They might get they might get sick of us. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe they'll just be jonesing for more. Possibly. I doubt it though. Yeah, probably. I don't know. But anyways, everyone have a good night, good day, good morning, whatever. We'll catch y'all later. Bye.